Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 10 to the end of the chapter. And I invite you as we read this passage to think particularly about the emphasis on what we were and what we are, the changes that take place in us. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You may be seated. I bring you greetings this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has accomplished so much for us, has made us to be citizens of a heavenly kingdom. As uh, Nate mentioned, it's been a while since I've preached here, and uh, I've not uh, dressed a crowd this big for quite a while, so yeah, it does look a little bit uh, different from uh, what I am used to. However, I've been reminded that we at Trogger can no longer really call ourselves a small church with with 20 families there, so we... uh, we appreciate the support that you've given to us in the uh, past nine years since we, we moved there, and uh, the Lord has blessed us, and uh, we've, we've grown there and hopefully continue to grow, not only in size, but in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I've entitled the message, God's Masterpiece. What really is God's masterpiece? We think about there's a lot of uh, of things in creation. We you can look at uh, a lot of things in nature, the uh, Grand Canyon. You think about Mount Everest, Niagara Falls. Do we consider those God's masterpiece? The psalmist tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. the uh, immensity of our universe. Do we call that God's masterpiece? 
The psalmist reveals that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as we, we study the anatomy of the human body, we think about the, how intricate, intricately we are made and how everything works together. Is that God's masterpiece? I think Paul here, in writing to the Ephesians, reveals to us God's masterpiece. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Understand that the word translated here as workmanship is a word that indicates a work of art, a masterpiece. There are several different characteristics of a masterpiece that I think are evident here in Paul's description of how God has has prepared us to be his masterpiece. Each masterpiece is completely a work of its creator. A masterpiece does not create itself. It is created by something, someone else. The artist is the one that does all the work. We are created in Christ Jesus. He created something new in us, something that had never existed before. The creation of a masterpiece is a process. A masterpiece is not finished in a very short time. Paul writes here that we were created. Notice that that's the past tense. But he says that we are. We are God's masterpiece. The present. We were created. But God is continuing to work on us. It's a continuing action to create a masterpiece. We are, and we will, be, we will continue to become God's masterpiece. We don't know immediately what everything that God intends for us, what God wants from our lives, the very moment that he makes us his new creation. We learn that in the process. God allows us to go through that process. And I think for many of us, we've, we, we understand that sometimes that process can be painful. But God, nevertheless, is molding and shaping us. He's, he's making us into something that he wants us to be. He has an end goal in mind for our lives. Sometimes, as you watch 
an artist. Sometimes it's a stroke of the hand with the paintbrush. Other times it may be a chisel carving out, taking away those things that distract from the masterpiece. All of God's masterpieces are created in Christ Jesus. As magnificent as the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or even Mount Everest or anything else that we can think of in nature, that's not really God's masterpiece. And as immense and awesome as the heavens are, they're not God's masterpiece. And even as intricately and wonderfully made as the human body, even that is not God's masterpiece. God's masterpieces are those people who have accepted the gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ and who have been created anew through the means of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that we are his workmanship. But there's a purpose for that workmanship. There's a purpose for the masterpiece that God is making you into. He tells us it's to do good works. That is the purpose that God is working and shaping and molding our lives. Now we know in other places in Scripture where Paul makes it absolutely clear that there is no, no place for our good works when it comes to our salvation. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. It is a gift that has been given to us. A gift is not something we earn. It's not something we work for. It's something that is given to us. But even though there's no place for good works in our salvation, there is a place for good works in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Good works can never earn favor with God. But as God molds and shapes us to be a masterpiece, it is so that we will do good works. A piece of art of its own is not able to do any good. But in the hands of its creator, it is able to accomplish the purposes for which it was created. The works that, that God expects from his masterpiece are not our own works, but is God's works. And Paul describes these, these good works as those which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God prepared in advance for us 
things to do. It's not necessarily our job as the masterpiece to figure out what those good works are. Instead, we are to look to him. He is using us as channels to accomplish his works. And these works need to become a lifestyle for us. We are literally to walk or to live in these good works. Not just do them, but we are to live in them. I think there's a, an important distinction there. Because to walk or live in good works indicates that it's a lifestyle. It's not just a list of things to do that we can check off. I've done that. I've done that. But it needs to be a lifestyle. You might ask, so exactly what are these works that God has prepared for us? These works that are to be our lifestyle. Well, to answer that, we'd have to go into several more sermons, I think. But Paul goes on in writing to the Ephesians. If you look at the second half of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul goes into a lot of those good works. Those things that God has prepared for us. Those things that need to become a lifestyle for us. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And that verse is kind of a transition in the book of Ephesians from the first three chapters which, which contain more of a basic doctrine. And the last three chapters of Ephesians describe how to put that doctrine into action how to practice it on a day-to-day -day basis. Or, to put it in Paul's words, the last three chapters are a description of the good works. The good works that God has prepared for us to live in. Those good works include things like unity within the body, growing together in our spiritual maturity, Changing the way that we think and the way that we treat others. It's husbands loving their wives, wives respecting their husbands, children honoring their parents, parents training their children to love God, being good employees and employers, putting on the whole armor of God. Those are the works that God has purposed for his children to walk in them, to live in, to become a lifestyle. God has created each of us as believers, as his masterpiece. And he's given us the purpose of living a life that is characterized by the good works he has prepared for us.
When God makes us into his masterpieces, one of the benefits is that he gives us the power we need to be able to live the kind of life that Paul writes about here. And Paul described that same power in his letter to the Philippians, to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The reason we're able to do the good works that God has prepared for us is because he is at work in our lives, creating a masterpiece. He gives us both the desire to do those good works, and he also gives us the power to carry it out. Scripture is very clear that we are saved by faith alone. But we are not saved by faith that is alone. We are God's masterpieces, created by him for the purpose of doing good works. And it's God who determines what those works are. It is God who gives us the power to live that kind of lifestyle day by day. In the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 here, Paul writes about the human race in general and about that idea of being saved by the grace of God. He begins the chapter and talks about what we were. And it's a grim picture. He tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were walking according to the course of the world. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience. He says that we had our, our lives in time past in the lusts of our flesh, doing what we wanted to do, fulfilling our own desires. Verse 4 then, he says, but God. As grim as that picture may be, God did something for us. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. He's made us alive, taken us from being dead in trespasses and sins, and he's made us alive in Jesus Christ. And he goes on and talks about how he has changed us from that and what he has given to us. He raised us together up together. He made us to sit in heavenly places. He's done that. We can show forth the exceeding riches of his grace. 
But he makes it clear in verse 9, it's not of works. If it were of works, we would have something to boast about. But it's all from God. In verse 11, Paul begins to specifically address his main audience here of Gentile believers. And he points out to them that prior to Jesus, there was a barrier. There was a barrier between the Gentiles and the Jews. But Jesus came to take care of that barrier, to make peace between Jews and Gentiles. And in verse 12, Paul describes five disadvantages that the Gentiles faced when it came to their relationship with God. He says that they were without Christ. They were separated from Christ, living apart from Christ. The Jews always held a hope of a Messiah, a Savior. They always had that hope. That was an advantage the Gentiles did not have. He also says that the Gentiles were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were excluded. They were outlawed from the rights of the people of Israel. The Jews were chosen by God, and the Gentiles were excluded from that. He says that they were strangers from the covenants of promise. God had made many different covenants with the people of Israel. They benefited from those covenants that God had made from them. Paul's saying the Gentiles didn't share in those covenants. He also says that there was no hope. Having no hope. They didn't share in that same hope that the Jews had. The hope of a Messiah. A hope of a Savior. And he says that they were without God in the world. No relationship with the true God. The Jews had the advantage of at least knowing something about the one true God. And although their understanding and knowledge of that was incomplete until the coming of Jesus, they even had a relationship with God. God had revealed himself to the Jews, to the people of Israel. He gave them an opportunity to respond to him in worship. The Gentiles, on the other hand, had many gods. But even to them, the idea of any kind of relationship with any of those gods was foreign to them. But Paul is saying that now, through Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles have been given the privilege of a personal 
intimate relationship with an infinitely awesome God. All of us were once far away from God. And there was nothing that we could do of ourselves to bridge that gap. But God provided a way. In Jesus Christ, he provided a way for us to be drawn close to him. God today is looking for relationship, not just with the Jews, but with every human being. He wants to include everyone. And that's why he's taken away those barriers, those disadvantages that we talked about that the Gentiles had. He took those away. He broke down those walls that divided the Jews from the Gentiles. We have a tendency at times to build walls. And there's, there's various reasons that we build walls. But there's one thing that all walls have in common, and that is that they cause separation. Now, sometimes that separation can be good. Or it can be useful. But there are other times that separation is harmful. Jesus came to take down those walls that separate us from a relationship with him, with God. Paul writes here in verse 14 that Jesus Christ is our peace. He made peace. He came and he preached peace. Now, the most common definition of peace is the absence of conflict. But the word peace, as it is used in the scriptures, has a much deeper meaning. It has the idea of a wholeness. It's often referred to the salvation offered to man by God. It's used to refer both to our, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. As Paul points out here in this passage, there were walls that separated men from God. There was also walls that separated men from each other. But Jesus, Jesus is the peace. He came to tear down those walls. He came to make it possible for us to have real peace in our lives. And if we're going to want, if we're going to experience the kind of peace that God wants us to have, we're going to have to let God tear down walls in our lives. 
Without Jesus Christ in our lives, we tend to erect a barrier, a wall between us and God. Jesus has come so that wall doesn't need to be there. That wall can be taken away. We can experience peace. We can experience wholeness. And we can experience a personal, intimate relationship with God. This peace is offered to us again as a gift. And as with any other gift, we need to accept it for it to be of any value to us. The fact that we may never have true peace with others in our lives who have not addressed their own relationship with God does not give us an excuse to erect walls that separate us from them. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, he says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you. We're not responsible for another person's relationship with God. And we can't really do much about the walls that others build. But we can make sure that we're not the ones erecting those unnecessary walls and putting up barriers between ourselves and others, between ourselves and God. It's interesting to note in these verses that all the action that's taking place is done by God. We are incapable of breaking down our own walls. We need Jesus Christ to help us to do that. We need to look at others. We need to treat others as God sees them. Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. God no longer sees, looks at the difference between Jew or Gentile. He sees us all as followers of Jesus Christ. God has brought both together into one body by the means of the cross. He's made it possible. He's gotten rid of those things that cause separation. We all have the same access to God. Jew or Gentile, one doesn't have a better advantage than another. We all have access to God. Now, while there is an individual aspect to our faith, 
I think Paul here is telling us that our faith is intended to be experienced within the body of believers that God has created. We are meant to live our lives beyond ourselves. We are no longer strangers or foreigners. We are fellow citizens with the saints. Citizenship is important. Citizenship comes with privileges and responsibilities. We now, as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we have the privilege of being part of a body where we can be encouraged, where we can grow in our faith. Along with that privilege, we also have the responsibility to participate in the life of the body. We have the responsibility to submit to its leadership. God is, Paul is reminding us here of what we were, but he's also telling us what we are or what we can become. We've become a part of a family. And we understand that here on this earth, some of the deepest intimacies are experienced in family. Relationship between husband and wife, relationship between parents and children, relationship between brothers and sisters. These provide an opportunity for intimacy that other relationships may not have. And I believe that our church family present, presents those same kinds of benefits when it comes to our relationship with God. God never intended that his children would be apart from his family. Paul goes on here and he describes Jesus as a cornerstone. Now we don't think about, in our building today, we don't think about a cornerstone like they did in those days. But a cornerstone was the most important stone in the building. It established the point where the rest of the building would be constructed. And in a sense, it is what held the building together. Jesus designed each one of us as his followers to be a part of a local body of believers. I cannot become the person that God wants to, me to be apart from life in that body. But even more important, I think, is the idea that my call to be a follower of Jesus Christ is a call to live beyond myself. In his article titled, Escape from Consumer Church, from November 14 of 2004, 
Bob Hyatt wrote this very direct yet needed words. He says, and I quote, If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, you need to know this. The church is not here for you. You are here for the church, your community. And your community, the church, is here for the world. Jesus did not die to make you into a sanctified consumer. He died to bring you alive to God and to a desperately needed world. We are his masterpiece. Each one of us is a masterpiece that God is creating. And my challenge this morning is, how are we going to respond to his work in our lives? Are we going to allow him to do the work that he wants to do? To make us the masterpiece he wants us to be? Or are we going to interfere with that work and decide that we have something better? I trust that we will leave ourselves in the hands of the master artist. And that we will become the masterpiece that he wants us to be because he has something exciting for each one of us. He has a work for us to do, a work that no one else may be able to accomplish. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. May God bless us as we continue to become what he wants us to be.